Hey, let's kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, which is brought to you free every week from the folks at, well, where else? Geekinthecity.com. You can also watch us stream the show weekly every Tuesday on twitch.com forward slash geekinthecity at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. If you enjoy the show, you can also help us out over on patreon.com forward slash geekinthecity. Your support there helps us do more content and create more shows and overall make it a better experience for you, the best audience in the world. As always, always share the show and make some comments for us or give us a five-star rating on any of the platforms you enjoy listening to this show on. And with that, let's kick off this all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Hello, and welcome to issue 674 of Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. And I am your other, other host, Cable Hashitani. How's it going? You know, it's a Tuesday. That's right. It's oh, Tuesday, man. Lemon. It is Tuesday, Lemon. It is definitely one of those kind of Tuesdays. Right. Man, oh man. <laughs> It's Tuesday, uh, and it's officially retail time. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm coming off of um, Black Friday weekend. Woof. Which was a busy one here at Guardian Games, as people can tell. I'm I'm still broadcasting from the lovely Guardian Games studio. Well, I mean, normally we all would be, so. Yes. Um, yeah. It, it it is a lot more convenient when one of us is down to just go back to remote because then you're not lugging around equipment. Right. Yeah. No, it does make it a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, folks can tell we are we are minus a one Denise. Uh, she is getting yeah. better. They're down. They're not out. So, you know, no, they'll be back. That's right. They'll so it's just, around. it's just us, man. It's just, man, this is means, when we should talk about old Portland. Right? That was just what I was thinking. You got to indulge in a little bit of that, did you not? You went to a Storm Large show. I did, yeah. So Jen and I are both huge Storm Large fans, and it's the holiday ordeal, which, right. I mean, you know this, for the longest time, like, we are rarely home on Thanksgiving weekend. Right. Uh, we're... Like 85% of the time, we're at the coast. Like, that's our getaway. Um, except for when I was in retail. So when I was with Treasure Truck or at Thanks Another World, it was like, sorry, like, I work retail. You know. Yes, I know. Uh, yeah, it sucks. I, um, had, I had Thursday off. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly. So we've, in the 15 years she's done it, we've never been able to go. So we finally got to go. Um it was at the Aladdin theater and it was totally like 
that rare moment of something that still felt like old Portland. Mm-hmm. Like it was raining just enough to where yeah. you didn't feel a need to cover your head. It was just, it was just raining, you know, and, you know, pulling up messy Aladdin and you look at the marquee and it has like storm large. And then next week, you know, John waters and the young pornographers. And I'm like, yeah, this kind of feels right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was cool. It's, I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't sure if, it was going to be like a typical Christmas thing. Like when David Sedaris does his stuff. Oh, right. Um, the winter so I land, thought there's Santa land diaries. Yeah, yeah. Santa land diaries or whatever, which whatever. <coughs> um, it's a funny book. It is a funny book. Um, he's turning into uh grumpy old entertainer territory. Well, I mean, you know, because he forgets his roots of working in retail. Yeah, I never forget In the that. holidays. I never forget that. Good lords. Oh, I think we all can. Like, that's... <laughs> like, the further we are away from it, it, it just becomes something different. Right, so, right. But... All right. Um, so I thought, like, well, you know, it's going to be Storm putting her take on Christmas songs, which, mm-hmm. that's super fun. And she... She definitely sang a few Christmas songs, but it was also kind of more like variety, not a, I want to say variety show. That implies like there were jugglers and someone who sawed an elf in half. You know, it wasn't any of that. Um, Ew. But like Holcomb Waller sang with her. That was cool. I've always dug his stuff. Um, who he now owns a tavern in St. Helens. Huh. An alleged haunted tavern in St. Helens. I'm like, all right, check Allegedly. it out. Allegedly, yes. Um, uh, Poison Waters opened the show, you know, in like the full and like worked the crowd really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I apologize, I forgot some of the other people that she brought on with her, but people she's known from touring and just being a, you know, she. I think she would take this with like as 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 it's intended, but from her years of being a dirtbag performer twenty years ago in Dante's, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> That you, you know what I mean? People you meet along the way. Yep. Um, so there was very few Christmas songs that you would expect. A um, couple of religious songs, because by her own admission, she loves gospel. Because if you love to belt out tunes, you're probably going to like gospel music. You know, it yeah, hits all fair. the range. Yeah, and it's pretty. Um, but then she, yeah, but a lot of like songs that she just decided were Christmas songs. Um, and it got really emo- like one of them. She's talking all about when Jesus is being tempted in the in the is in the desert when he's having the his long night of the soul, you know, the soul with dad saying like, "Do I really have to do this? Like, I don't want to do this." Mm-hmm. She decided that the song "Dream On" is all about that, so she sang "Dream On," which is pretty cool. And she just decided yeah. it's a Christmas song to me now. That's an that's an interesting take. Hmm. Because um, that, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Wait, is that is that blending both? Like, there's the the tempting of Christ that happened in the desert, right? And then there was there's the um, the plea to God to not do this, and that's the gar- Garden of Gethsemane. I forget. Yeah, what the, the Garden of Gethsemane, is. which I believe yeah. is the night before he's crucified. Yes. 
It is. Uh, the temptation. Or I the think night before he's taken, anyway. Yeah, it's I the think night before the, he's arrested. The temptation in the desert, I think, is when they arrive in Jerusalem. Right. The temptation of the desert is also his meeting with Satan. Satan. Yeah. Yeah. Or Lucifer. Right. Uh, and then I think she sang Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. That's her other. She's like, that's also a Christmas song. Um, and stuff that was like very emotional. Like she talks about how she lost her dad this year. And even though she wasn't close, she was like, can you just hang on long enough for me to say goodbye? So she sang like his favorite song. It was very much an up and down emotional night. Like you get like that vulgar, hilarious storm large. And then she just gut punts you with like, yeah, that sounds like a storm. And that's, it's like a storm large concert, right? Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, it was an interesting crowd because there were some people that got up and left about halfway through because you know, storm when she works the crowd, I, if you, when you, if you gaze around the audience of the Aladdin theater, Mm -hmm. uh, it was a lot of people that I think only know storm through pink martini and they're like, Oh, she's doing a Christmas show. Let's go see her on her own. This will be wonderful. Uh, you didn't know she sang for Pink Martini? I don't. I don't. That doesn't surprise me, but I don't remember uh, when she did that. It was, I think at first she started when, was it, what's her name? China Phillips, the yeah. primary? Yeah, when she had a Not kid. China Phillips. Uh, China, China Phillips is, yes, her name is China. China Phillips is... Okay. Um, the daughter of Michelle Phillips, who's part of Wilson Phillips. Oh, that's not it. Yeah. That's anyway, when she was having a kid, Storm filmed in, filled in, and then they started going together. Like it just, so oh, now okay. it's like Pink Martini, you know, so Storm Large is kind of a part of Pink Martini now. And there was a lot of Pink Martini in the crowd. Um, And, you know, in between oh. songs, Storm starts making, you know, like anal jokes. <laughs> Cause it's storm. Uh-huh. Uh, so there were, that... there were some people that left, you know, so it was a lot of fun though. And it was very much old Portland. China uh, Forbes. China Forbes. Thank you. Yep. I knew it was a f- sound. <laughs> yep. China Forbes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm it was so much. Old... Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was such a, uh, a Portland experience. That part of me was like, hey, when we're done here, we can fucking go over the to- the hotcake house. Which, by the way, no longer 24-hour. Uh, they they wrapped up around 10 now. Oh. I'm, I'm guessing it's because they got tired of dealing with shit, too. I'm sure they did. Or I'm they just... just couldn't keep staff to run at 24 hours, too. There's also that. The, yeah. Staffing issues are a real live thing. Yeah, no, they very much are. Yeah. Especially in the age of the endemic of COVID-19. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. C-19 a- phase two. Hooray! But it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was kind of a bummer that they were... Not we'd have gone, because there's literally nothing there I can eat. I can have the wheat toast. <laughs> yep. And... I was going to say on the hash browns, but I know that how they cook them, so I shouldn't have the hash browns either. 
No, it it's not whether or not you can go and indulge. You want these things to exist for every following generation. Like that's yeah. It, I, at least I, I'm speaking for you and I because I believe that you and I are simpatico about about these things. But that's I don't want to these things to be around so that I can continue to go to them over and over and over again. Like right. they're usually if I go back to them, there is, there are reasons, there are specific reasons um, that largely have to do with nostalgia and not, I want to keep repeating those patterns. Yeah. I want these things to be around because I believe they're intrinsic to the soul of Portland and the soul of the Portland experience. Uh, so that's why I want them to still be around and still change and evolve, but be here. Um, I appreciate that while the montage, as I know it and as you know it and as many people knew it, is mm-hmm. gone, it still manages, it now it exists as a food cart, which, as we both know, that means in another 10 years it's going to be a, a restaurant, a brick and mortar restaurant. Yeah, I think it exists as a couple else. food carts. Like there's yeah, three, there's different versions of it. Yeah. Mm hmm. There's they have one out in Beaverton, which is new to the Beaverton experience. Like yeah, that, that's not that's something that's been part of Beaverton before. Like the montage yeah, but, was always something that you had to come to Portland to experience. Yes, very much so. And like inner industrial Portland kind of thing. Um But yeah, I get what you mean. Like It'd be cool to go back to the hotcake house at 1 a.m. Um, but like you said, for me, it would become more like a nostalgia thing. Sure. Um, but I really want people in their early to mid-20s to have those places to go to. And they're kind of not around anymore. Nope. Um, you know, you can't go watch a show and you're whatever out of your mind and you're like, I need a fucking i need grease and sugar like now you know yeah that's what <laughs> all this left is me. the tick all that's left is the tiktok yeah tiktok lounge it, it, is that it it is what bothers me about the current state of old town chinatown is we still have live music venues in that area and there is nowhere for people to go roll into um past midnight uh to sit down and get a food or get another drink or just chill. Yeah. That doesn't exist in Old Town Chinatown. And it used to be... There were, like... There were a couple different Chinese restaurants that were still open at four in the morning. Like the Republic? Is it the Republic? Yeah. The Republic's still there, but it's definitely modified hours. Um, The, like, House of Louis has been gone for quite a while. Yeah. I miss House of Louis. Yep. The uh like the the two Chinese restaurants. Three. There are three. Um The Golden Horse, The Republic, and uh it's, I think it's the Veggie House or something. It's oh, the I one don't that's know. yeah, it's closest to the arch across the street from the Hoxon. Oh, okay. Hoxton yeah, Hotel. yeah. Um, it's the place that still 
has ducks in the window. Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, I'd never been to that one. I think there's still, I, I think I've eaten there once. Um, and I got to go. I'm pretty sure that that place is still open because it's front. It's backed by a cult. Sure. Whatever. Because they, they play um, only one television channel in that place. And it is to a cult in somewhere in South Asia. Are they like Moonies? Maybe. Is that still mm-hmm. a thing? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point, Bex. Yeah, um, gotta get paid somehow. Yep. Um, Other than before we start reminiscing further again, I know what are we actually doing on the show this week? <laughs> uh, we're going to be interviewing filmmaker Sophie Somaroff. Yes, uh, we saw her work at the Portland Horror. It wasn't Lovecraft. The Portland it Horror was not Film Lovecraft. Festival. Um, yep. They, called, they have a yeah go ahead at uh, their film love is a fire mm-hmm. which was <laughs> a short um and I, I i know i stuck around for her talk were were you in the room for her when she did her talk i don't think so because i feel like i had to go do something yeah i don't remember her possible talk yeah um maybe yeah. i did i don't remember it it was enough for me to go. Ooh, I I want to interview this person eventually. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad to have her on. Um, since we saw her film in July, uh, it's gotten all kinds of uh, great reviews and awards. <laughs> so I'm interested to hear more about her journey from when we saw her at Portland Horror Film Fest to now, and what's next. Yeah. Um... Maybe it's a testament to how Gwen and Brian vet filmmakers, but I feel like if you if you if you have a showing at the Portland Horror or at Lovecraft Horror, you've got places to go. Then, like it, yep. Um, and that's probably more of the fact again that I think that Gwen and Brian are very particular on the films that they curate for their shows. I do agree. They they have been. I feel like that's something that they've been working on over the years and it is definitely getting to a, uh, they're, they're very skilled at their craft now. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to speaking with them. It should be a that, lot of fun. And that'll be at the top of the hour. That's right. <laughs> News and uh, traffic at the top of the hour. <laughs> how's that for old radio talk? Mm. Uh, oh my gosh, that's one thing that the Storm Large show did to me. It made me very nostalgic for my limited radio era. Mm. Like it really made me miss like being on the air. Podcasting's fun, but it's not the same as going live over like a 50,000 watt station. Like my experience was nothing compared to yours, but you're right. There is nothing like that. There's just um, nothing like it. Yeah, there's no parachute. There's no safety mm-hmm. net. There's a dump button. Buys you maybe 20 seconds, but that's about it. Um, and especially when it was like the kind of like AM talk. We were like the only non-conservative AM talk like ever, I guess. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then me producing Clyde's show before. Mm-hmm. Bef- the b- Before. That was um, ground zero, Yeah. Yeah, 
So we did News at Ground Zero, which was a pre-recorded news show for an hour. And then we produced, and then I would produce Ground Zero from like, oh man, oof, from like eight to midnight. Whew, that's a run. Yeah, yeah no, they were, they were long. And since Clyde couldn't drive, that also meant you had to drive him home. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, or he wanted to go to TikTok. I'm like, dude, I got to go home. It's you know. it's midnight, dude. Yeah, it's yeah. By the time I get you home, it's gonna be one thirty in the morning, and you sleep until noon. But I don't. It, his was just a, a once a week show, though, wasn't it? Um, it wasn't an everyday thing. No, Ground Zero was every day. News at Ground oh. Zero was always, I think, Fridays or Saturdays. Fridays, I think. Okay. No, it was every day. He would do a four-hour show every day? That's insane. Yeah, he still does. Yeah, he's insane. <laughs> yes. Say um, it with love. Yeah. He's insane. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's a different show now, unfortunately. Mm. Um yes, it's a different show now. I'll just leave it at that. But it did make me miss doing that stuff, you know? Yeah. Having to bleep Stovacore because they said fuck on the air. Uh, but again, it was late night AM and there are slightly different rules to that. Yeah. Um, we're like, you know, out of primetime cable is kind of the same <laughs> rules for it and stuff. Uh yeah, uh, homicide. Yeah, his was a bit longer than most of them, and because it also depended on some people only got him for two or three hours. Because it all depended on whether or not um, he was being followed by Coast to Coast AM, depending on the station. Oh, okay. Because he was syndicated, so locally it was always four hours of, of Ground Zero. Um, another station broadcast Coast to Coast. But there were some smaller stations that had both. So he'd go oh. from like 8 to 10 for them, and then they would roll. Because Coast to Coast is like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., I think. It used to be. I don't know if it still is. But in the what Art is- Bell era, it was like 10 p.m. to like 3 a.m. I think George Norrie went 10 to 2. Um, but yeah, it made me just miss that. It made me think like, I wonder if I could do something on twitch like do they allow like i'm getting conflicting messages as like i wouldn't mind bringing back like a music show like kind of like a version of drive time at the drive-in yeah um i've heard you can broadcast music on twitch but you cannot you cannot make it available once your stream is done Uh. so once the show's over it's over i don't know i'll get more details and stuff like that but i was like Man, I got all these new soundtracks. It'd be a lot of fun to do again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Fire Cow's right. You did it in about 40, 45 minute chunks because you had to make... Yeah, you had to have news from your affiliates and all that stuff. You don't do a lot of traffic at midnight. <laughs> you know, you don't really hopefully. cover a lot of... Ch- hopefully not. Or you just tap into like coin. Like you just take their audio feed. Um, my biggest fear was always the completely random and unannounced... Um, EMS broadcasts uh, uh-huh. because you got no warning and all of a sudden that you 
there was like this teletype machine in the studio that started going bring, 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 and like an alarms would go off and you have to run over that archaic system and activate it to play the EMF EMS message. And it was very stressful, very stressful. Emergency. Uh, emergency. Um, I thought it was emergency broadcast. Maybe it was EB. Yeah. Yeah, EBS sounds right. E- EMS sounds like like you're combining the uh, emergency medical hologram and the emergency yeah, broadcast EMH. system. Yeah, that's what I want. I want an emergency broadcast hologram. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Please state the nature of the transmission. That'd be awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I, I kind of miss state it. State the nature of the emergency. Yeah. Just like how you've heard us talk, and you've mentioned it too, like misdoing the radio dramas. Oh, I do. Uh, it was fun. Um, it was so much fun. I I always get people like, you should do them again. And I I feel like I cannot reiterate enough how much work it took and time for something that no one paid for. <laughs> right. Um, and by the way, I didn't make any money off it. None. No. None. We weren't. Um, none of the actors were paid. No. We weren't. You weren't paid by the studio. I'm. Nope. It seemed like, huh, which to me is that's where I I like living. I like living in the. It's like I I want to create art. Well, how do you make money at it? Right, you are missing the point, my friend. <laughs> that is yeah. That's not my. I actually had that conversation with a coworker. It's like money is not my motivation for doing a goddamn thing. Yeah, I don't care. Right. Um, And I know that a little bit behind the scenes, Rick was starting to talk to the station of like, like, look, there are people turning into an AM station at seven o'clock at night on a Sunday. mm -hmm. Like, like we got to give them something. They're putting a lot of heart. And right when that was starting to happen was when they got pushed to uh, to FM. Sure. To KUFO. This, this right about that's why we only went for like, uh, see, there's seven AZ episodes, four Crimson Mists. So, so we went for almost three weeks, three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and in full disclosure, I don't know how long I was going to be able to keep it up. I was essentially writing 60 pages of dialogue every week, like for Crimson Mist and AZ. So that was. That was hard to crank out. Yeah. But I, I miss it. <laughs> we would have hit a point where we're going to take a, a break in order for you to have been able to write more. Yeah. So that we could have had stuff already in the can. Yeah. But yeah, I get a lot of people like, man, I missed that. I wish you could bring it back. And my answer is always like, I would, but like, I can't. It sounds mercenary. I just I can't do it for free, and I don't think the general audience has any idea how much work is involved. They and, don't, and time, and the work and time. Like, yeah, it looks like fun when you see us doing it, but there's hours and hours before that. But uh, again, it is fun, and I think that if in the Star Trek economy you could do this stuff all the time because yeah. everything else in your life, your healthcare would be taken care of your, your housing would be taken care of the, There would be food in your fridge. 
you would want for nothing. You would have a replicator. Let's, I, yeah, whatever. But yeah. you would want for nothing. So you could just go, that's what I want to do. I want to create stories. Yeah. And none of, none of the rest of this bullshit would, would be a, you know, subject. Right. And money wouldn't matter. That's, boy, that would be I, nice. I, that's <laughs> where I want to get to because right. I just want the, <clears throat> the artists of the world are the ones that would benefit from that. And then the rest of us would benefit from what they would produce. Right. I know that strife creates uh, opportunity for people to create real emotional and visceral stuff, but I don't want us to go through hell all of the time just to have good art no it becomes very tiring right um it's just a form of societal trauma bonding on a level where (laughs) i i don't want to do that right anymore than we already are absolutely i mean it's also why i can be i can be jealous of some of the higher and well-known uh, TTRPG streamers, mm-hmm. um, but also know, especially for the DM, how much work goes into that. Like even the players, oh, yeah. they're they're getting into character. Some of them put on costumes, and yes, it's a game and it's fun. But the best role playing game sessions end up being far more emotional, I think, than the average viewer understand especially if you're kind of putting elements of yourself into your character and then you're putting those characters through the ringer in this collective storytelling um i've been thinking of trying to pull off like streaming a role-playing game but again we had always kind of come back to like that requires commitment from at least four other players maybe five other players like it becomes a whole thing and you've got to have people that by definition are comfortable on camera are comfortable with people seeing them, if nothing else, act out emotions on camera. Which and not everyone is. No, those are all skills. Like, well, like, it's funny. I'll have fans run into me, like, just randomly at a bar, not at an event. <clears throat> and they'll be like, yeah, I just kind of sighed there. Like, you were just, like, really quiet. I'm like, well, that's kind of usually how I am. <laughs> Like, when you see me at an event or on this show, unless it's been super rough, like, I'm in show mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I turn that off when I don't need it. I can turn it on pretty quickly. But as a rule, if I don't need it, I don't I don't turn it on. Right. I am perfectly happy sitting at the bar or standing in this corner of the room and just kind of observing. So, yeah, I don't think we're complaining. It's just more of a... I guess it's one of those things where it's like, I wish... I wish a lot of viewers and listeners kind of understood the work involved. It's not just us turning on a mic, flicking on the camera and being waka, waka, waka. This show might be, but uh, I, I don't think that I want to give, give our listeners specifically a little more credit because I think, Oh yeah. Cause they listen to us and they listen to us talk about it. Um, What I do think is that, uh, <clears throat> knowing and experiencing are two different things and right. I don't think the the general public um, 
understands. Like, based on how angry message boards get when this show or that show does something that they don't like or is late or it's like, why is the schedule thing? Um, why is the schedule poorly? It's like, right. because you don't know how this industry works. Right. Speaking of. Speaking of industry, let's bring on our guest before we welcome our guest onto the show. This is a good time to talk about our sponsors. First up, of course, Guardian Games. They have been with us since this was just a little blog. Uh, have always shown support, and we like to show our support for them. Check them out at 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. Guardian Games will have anything on that gamer, uh, anything on the gamers list in your life this holiday season. Um, and if you're not sure what they're into, but you also don't want to be like, hey, I hear you like games and just be super obvious about it. You can always get a Guardian Games gift certificate. That way, you know that when they go to Guardian Games, they are getting exactly what they want or perhaps what they need. I know it might seem weird. What do you mean like need? No one needs game stuff. Oh, that's where you're mistaken. Sometimes you need that new set of dice or you need that new source book. Um, and you will help them fulfill that geeky gaming need with a Guardian Games gift certificate. <laughs> 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland. When you're there, whether you buy something or not, please thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. It goes a long way to let sponsors know that we make an impact. Next up, of course, there is Revnat of Revnat's Hard Cider. All of his delicious, tasty winter ciders are now up and running. Uh, Abbey Spice and uh, Providence, I think is what it's called. And I'm not looking at the email. Anyway. These are, these are some hefty ciders, rich in spices and dark uh, fruit notes. They're absolutely delicious. Uh, both can also be warmed up and mulled with more spices. So check them out. Uh, we're coming into the colder times, and Revnat helps keep you nice and warm. And then finally, before we get back to it, just a quick little shout-out to our friends at Asylum, 3713 Southeast Hawthorne Boulevard, or on Facebook at pdxasylum.com. They have a bunch of new cool stuff uh, you know, for, for holiday gift ideas, including creepy holiday cookbooks, um, really neat lamps that look like um, they, cattails. Yeah, you know, those things that grow by water. Anyway, they got a lot of cool stuff there. You know, a lot of their stuff comes from the Northern European countries in design. And if there's anyone who knows how to deal with like 18 hours of darkness, it is, it is those people. So PDX Asylum will help you Weather the winter darkness doldrums and all that good stuff. Uh, anyway, let's get back to the show and our interview. <laughs> Hi, Sophie. Nice to you. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, welcome to Geek in the City Radio. Yep, uh, you're, yep. Yeah, a little bit. You're dropping out every once in a while, but yeah, it sounds pretty good. I'm trying to use my headphones. I read dog um if i'm ah. in my house they might go but uh we'll try our best for to see you guys. it's okay there are there are like dozens of children like just behind the wall where cable's at right now so yep <laughs> yeah and I, i'm in the I'm, basement that picks up every stump yep. and every bit of plumbing <laughs> nice so uh welcome um we were explaining to the our listeners and viewers earlier that uh, we first saw your work, uh, Love is a Fire, back in <laughs> July as part of the 
Portland Horror Film Fest. Um, and we had heard you talk about the, sh- the movie. And so we wanted to have you on so you could talk to our audience directly about it, as well as the journey that you've made uh, over the past five months, which has kind of been amazing with uh, how, how the show has been doing at festivals. But uh, if, if you don't mind, give us a, a, a first introduce yourself and say hi and who you are and what you do. Hi, hi. Um, I'm Sophie Samaroff. Um, Love is a Fire, which is about an acidic gone awry. In a, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I've, I love movies and I love filmmaking. This was actually my first time or, or anything kind of your end of the spectrum. I was a, like a rom-com or like type of person. Mm-hmm. So it, um, yeah, I mean, it run with this movie. Yeah, Portland premiere of it. <laughs> Let me see if I can get my sound. <laughs> okay. Ooh. I don't think we hear anything now. No, we do not. Uh, I have noticed that these systems don't like Apple earbuds. Oh. It makes them grumpy. How's this? Oh. Better? Oh. Loud yeah, that's later. That sounds Loud great. Yes. Great, great, great. Sorry. If your dogs bark, it's totally fine. Yeah, it's fine. Just... It doesn't. Um, when we, in the early days of the pandemic, um, when we were all broadcasting from home, every single one of our pets all like guest started in the podcast. So, yeah, there everyone's were used to it. So many cat yeah. butts on this show a few months ago. So many cat butts. So many. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's, so. um, it'll be especially crazy because one of my dogs is also named Sophie accidentally um, <laughs> because I moved in with my boyfriend who had named the dog before <laughs> me. So like, if he starts like yelling, like Sophie, stop peeing over there. Or something like it's not directed at me. It's directed sure. at the animal. And I'm just like saying it now, you know, so no one's wondering. If just I'm get it. Know. Just get us ready and primed for it. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I love uh, that. that. Very stressful. I now flinch when I hear my name in my house. Oh, I'm no. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how much you heard, but yeah, I mean, I was just saying that I, yeah, I mean, Love is a Fire started at Portland Horror. You guys saw, like, the first time it, it had screened anywhere. Um, oh, which wow. Was, okay. Yeah, which was very terrifying. I mean, you guys obviously have seen it, so you know about that moment at the end that's mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. like Oof. I was like this the movie lives or dies on if people right. react audibly to this image um, which you know I loved Portland Horror and it was my first time at a genre festival and you know Gwen and Brian are just the best and yeah. so welcoming and have an amazing community of genre lovers who who come in and watch the movies. And I just felt like it was the first, it, it was a perfect first orientation to that community. And I made, you know, friends with other filmmakers. And I'm so glad that 
been able to stay connected with you guys, but um, yeah, it was, it was a really great kind of world premiere for it. I, I loved being there. Yeah. And yeah, I we... think the, I think the horror film community is a kind of special group too. Mm-hmm. We're all a little weird and broken. So we tend to stick together. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I was in denial about it. And then like after making this, cause I was, I've always been like really terrified of horror movies and, and struggled to watch them. And mm-hmm. then I was like, okay, I need to do something different than what I've done before. I'll make a horror movie. Okay, if I'm making a horror movie, I guess I have to watch a lot of them. Uh, and did do that and enjoyed doing that. And then, you know, when I came up for Portland Horror, I I think I saw every movie that screened that day. So it was like, you know, 11 hours of just horror movies. Yep. <laughs> and I, I feel like that was like my cleansing that day. It was like I walked out of... I, I like flew back to LA that next, you know, at like 4 a.m. the next day and <laughs> was like directly from the after party at Chopsticks, like to the airport, to. Oof. That's, <laughs> oof, that's rough. <laughs> Wait, the after party was at Chopsticks? Yes. Yeah. And we oh, closed man. the bar. Oh. <laughs> it was ridiculous Eurovision karaoke. Was like that's Chopsticks. Iconic. Truly iconic, but um, yeah. And then I was like, okay, I guess I, I guess I am loving horror and like going to watch horror a ton. And then ever since I've gone to all these other festivals, it's it's been so fun just seeing all the amazing things that so many people are making and and being able to meet all these amazing filmmakers. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They also, from my experience, tend to be some of the kindest people, maybe because they just get it out on their films. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or I feel like very sensitive. Like I feel like if yeah. you, you know, like uh, I feel like if you're like constantly just talking about things that make you afraid or like digging into that, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting, like thinking a lot about that, and I've been thinking a lot about it. Just even with specifically Love Is a Fire, you know, because it's about a yeast infection, and like everyone's always like, "What inspired the movie?" And I'm like, "Well." You just got that question. Having a yeast infection. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the answer. But it's not like very often that you, I I mean, that you're like talking about, I guess, like that sort of thing. Or like even people coming up to me after watching the movie being like, this has been a huge fear of mine. Like, you know, yeast infections gone awry or just like. I've heard a lot of people come up to me and like tell me all sorts of crazy, very wacky yeast infection stories, which it's like I love to hear <laughs> in a weird way. Like I love to, I don't know, like be part of a space where we can all just like talk about, I guess, whatever's on our minds and, and I don't know, feel comfortable in that space and feel welcome in that space, which I think that, is nice. That makes a lot of sense. I like, I, I feel for such a short film that it brings up a lot of topics that we don't talk about because it's not polite or it's taboo or that's the thing that the other gender talks about. And we don't talk about it. It's like, maybe we ought to, maybe we ought to be talking more about this. So yeah. Yeah. Like I was struck, I was struck by that again, rewatching the the movie yesterday and going, Oh, yep. Nope. There are those feelings. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious, yeah, when you guys were watching it, like, yeah, I mean, 
I I tend to assume, like I've gotten different responses on like the points in the movie that I guess like you kind of knew if if you at a certain point in the movie like knew where it was headed in terms of like that ending image and I mean I guess I like I don't know if I should give spoilers but yeah. Uh, I, I think it, well, that really depends on what kind of release you have going on yeah. with it. Um, um, but I think for me, it was definitely the second bathroom scene where it's like, oh, oh, this is going to end poorly. <laughs> yeah. It's going mm-hmm. to end very poorly. <clears throat> um, yeah. I, and I really appreciate the performances of both the actors. Um that with the story that you wrote and directed really helped sell that story. Um, so I, I don't, the lead actress does not have a, a ton of dialogue, but she conveys so much in just a look or, or an expression on her face um, that. Uh, I'm yeah. so glad to hear you yeah. say that. I mean, she's, She's amazing. She's my best friend. Her mm-hmm. name's Selena Bernstein. Um, and she's actually, she starred in all my recent movies. Just, oh, okay. we, uh, we lived together. So it, and it's, we lived together while I was making this movie. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, it was like very, you know, it's just so nice to kind of collaborate with someone so closely. And it also helped given the nature of the movie. And, you know, obviously it has like these two pretty intense, intimate scenes. Um, we shot in April of 2021. We were just ahead of vaccines, like being Ooh. widely available to our crew. So I think mm-hmm. a f- like some people had been vaccinated by that point. Some hadn't. And um, it was, yeah, I mean, I was, I wrote it, be- you know, just cause I, it had been all sorts of things I was thinking about a lot at the time. And I was like, all right, how in a pandemic do I find people willing to have like this intense close contact? And like, we were very safe and cautious households. So it was also like, how do we, because also my DP was one of our roommates and our production designer was one of our our roommates. We were, you know, it was all within the house mostly, but then of course we (laughs) were- Very much a bubble, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we had to venture out of it for, to, you know, to- build out the team in order to make this possible. But um, it helped with crafting the intimate scenes to be working with someone who I had like, you know, such a shorthand with and who is so talented and so willing to kind of offer so much of herself to the project and, and really helped refine the character and bring such a beautiful performance to it. And then the other actor, Kenny, had actually auditioned for another friend's project a few years prior. And we had, I had worked on that project and we had just remembered his audition being so striking. He didn't end up being cast in that other one, but um, I just reached out to him and I was like, you definitely, you don't know me, but I've seen your audition tapes and like, I'm going <laughs> to pitch you a very wacky movie that requires a lot from you. Like, but I would love to, see if you're interested and he was like he I could not have imagined someone better for it he actually even had experience with like pro, like prosthetics and all sorts mm. of you know all the complexity that that role ended up requiring and he was also just like an amazing partner in in crafting the intimate scenes and 
you know, we had rehearsals and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you guys felt positively about the performances because that was such a fun part of the process. Yeah, very much so. And I could tell like how much trust would be involved with those cast members and the trust they have to put in you also, which was probably yeah. no small feat for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I tend to be very drawn to stories that that I think deal like in terms of the things that I watch, like I I'm I'm very interested in intimacy and like, you know, how you portray that and and you know, through what gaze and how to deliver on the characters honestly and I I love this like practice of intimacy coordinating and we worked with a great intimacy coordinator. We actually worked with two amazing intimacy coordinators mm-hmm. and um, you know, they were really, really essential in creating that space of trust because essentially they exist to help um, just to help like deconstruct the power dynamics of like a film set and like, you know, the idea that, you know, a director, you are executing a director's vision or, you know, you have to deliver on what is being asked of you from the actor's perspective. And instead they, they are this like amazing conduit who can talk to everyone individually, understand everyone's needs, comforts, and then like together, the, you know, we all built the way those scenes ended up and, and it was super collaborative and, and really, really fun. And honestly, it's like in that last scene that is so stressful in terms of the performances, <laughs> like truly the second we would cut, someone would start like laughing and just like goofing around and having a fun time. <laughs> and that to me was like the most fulfilling part of the process was being like, we are you know, we're in this very weird situation and that, you know, there's like prosthetic and, you know, modesty wear and close <laughs> contact and screaming and uh-huh. crying and all sorts of stuff. And then like you cut and release that energy and just can like be having fun with your friends. And, and that was really what was, you know, fulfilling about it. Yeah. It's fantastic. It I- definitely relieves tension and stuff too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember you talking about the in- intimacy coordinators at uh, the film fest. So that I'm glad that you were able to bring that up again. Cause that was one of the things that I went, I want our listeners to hear about this. That's, that's cool, yeah. a thing that people don't hear about. Yeah. Uh, in filmmaking. And that's yeah, relatively new, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's nice cause I've, I've been finding that, you know, they're like, as it's become more and more, popular there's definitely been much more access to information about it and i think people shine more of a light on that process but yeah it is it is fairly new and it's crazy to me i mean i'm just imagining like for me as a director i i i feel like i need to have that person in the same way i would need a stunt coordinator to coordinate mm-hmm. a stunt sequence to do it safely like it's like just having someone who like because also there's like the the physical aspect of it too. It's like, you know, how do you make, you know, simulated intercourse, like look realistic, how it, like, it's a way of like moving your body that like experts who study this and know about this can <laughs> guide you in. And it's, it, it just is like a huge weight off your shoulders of being like, how do I get this to look realistic? How do we make sure everyone feels comfortable? Mm-hmm. And by 
having someone who can oversee all of those things, you, you are almost like, you know, you're able to just kind of focus on the creative because you're, you're not like, you don't have this like, you know, anxiety of like, does everyone feel okay about this? Like you, you can sure. trust the process. Mm-hmm. And of course also it helped like directing my best friend. It's like, you know, you, you know, like there's obviously trust there. And so, but, but right. yeah, I, I can't wait to do another project and, and work with, uh, we, I worked with someone named Chantal and Rebecca were our two intimacy coordinators. And I'm, I'm just trying to like write something else to do with them as soon as possible. <laughs> That's great. So, um, I I talked a little bit about that you've gone through a journey um, from Portland Film Fest to now. How many awards has this now won? <laughs> um, it has won. I, I've been very grateful for it. I think it's won like maybe three or four, something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, most recently it did take home Best Midnight Short at Film Quest, which was really, really awesome um and that was just such a fun festival as well and also late night karaoke i feel like that's the theme of like ridiculous (laughs) festival experiences um and then yeah it also did take home best midnight at nightmares uh film fest too um which were were very exciting but um yeah it's it's uh it's been really interesting to you know, feet like get the positive reactions with it being my first time going into this space and into this genre. And, you know, of course, like there's a certain element of it that's very affirming because it's so scary doing some, you know, doing something very different. And I remember sitting in the audience at Portland, like just shaking when it was, when it, it was about to screen just because I was like, okay, like if no one screams at that last <laughs> shot, like I am a failure. Like I will get on the next flight to LA and like, I don't know, but. Um, like next project, just yeah. put this behind me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No more horror, but it's been, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been really nice. I think it's also like, it's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. Like mm-hmm. I, and mm-hmm. I felt that too. And that, is also exciting because it's like, it, I feel like it has tended to elicit strong reactions to whether what. <laughs> Body yeah. horror is a very specific genre in horror. And yeah. uh, there are yes. people who love it. And then there are people who are like, mm, I get it, not for me. Yeah, and I, exactly. I think I've mentioned to Cable and Denise, who's not here before, that like, I get body horror. It's just not my jam. But I still, yeah. I really enjoyed Love is a Fire. Yeah, Thanks. where I um, I start to seek it out. Like, yeah. oh, there's a new body horror thing? Oh, Cronenberg did something new? I gotta go watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's going without me. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing that makes you feel quite the way body horror makes you feel. And I think <laughs> that it's like, it's definitely not, you definitely don't feel good. <laughs> but <laughs> it's like. That's but, not the point. Yep. Yeah, it's and there's like a catharsis to it, and and I guess like when I was thinking about this one, it, it you know I mean obviously there's a lot that I often joke about with the yeast infections, and I had a hole in my underpants, and that was like the image that inspired the movie, and like things like that. But and that's all true, but it's I I think also I was thinking a lot about just like 
I don't know, like the feeling in, in a relationship when like something's gone horribly wrong and like feeling really responsible for causing someone pain. And, mm -hmm. and I, I don't know, it's just like, it's very, uh, I don't know. I felt like for me, that catharsis was like very literalizing that pain. And like, I have definitely gotten emails back when I've sent the link to people being like, wish I wish I hadn't watched it. But, <laughs> no. but, I, you know, I think if you so remove the horror elements from the short, there is still something very realistic and very uncomfortable about watching these two people go through this issue in their relationship yeah um, because it's, yeah you get it on both sides it's like i i feel for both characters where it's like yeah no she she deserves this she she should feel this way all of everything that she's feeling is valid everything he's feeling is valid it you just want them to be able to come together but like for for the reasons of horror they really can't yeah <clears throat> right yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely more unsettling if you were to remove the body horror element to it, because then it's just these raw emotions that they will not confront correctly. Uh -huh. So I know for myself, I was kind of relieved when the horror element kicked in. I was like, okay, they're messed up, but here's this other thing I can now fixate on. Yep. Yeah. You know. Well, and I sometimes feel like sometimes you just need this extra thing to be like, yeah, this relationship's not gonna work. Like you can, <laughs> you can pretend it's. You can try. It's not. It's not gonna happen. It's not meant to be. And I guess if it escalates the way it does in the movie, <laughs> hopefully that's enough of an indicator to shut it yep. down. <laughs> um, I, I know also from a, a personal standpoint, um, being uh, like I'm half Japanese and Asian American. Every time there's an Asian American lead where the, I'm never expecting it. That's always like one of those things I connect with and go, Ooh, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> and, and I know that uh, from his IMDB, it, Kenny is uh, half Filipino. So like, that was one of those things I'm like, he's an Islander. There's, there's Islander in there somewhere. So this is, <laughs> this is uncommon. This is already uncommon, and that definitely biased my feelings towards. Okay, I, I'm, I'm all in. I don't know what's going on, but I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I mean, anything we can get anyone to be all in early before things take a turn. I feel like, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's like I, I appreciate that inclusion. Um, and like, neither one of your leads are what everyone thinks of when they think, well, you're in movies, so you have to look like this. It's like, nope, that's not what these people look like. And yet they're beautiful. And right. I was like, everything that they were doing was very compelling. So I appreciate that inclusion because the more we see that in filmmaking, the more that people, the audience, because audiences can, can identify with what you're doing. So good job on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It was yeah, I mean, it's it's like you were saying, you you want to be honest about about the stories you're representing and, and making sure that, you know, it's, yeah, it's compelling and truthful and not like sticking within a construct, the constructed confines of, I guess, like what your expectations might be. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad you, you guys uh, were drawn in and, and enjoyed the, the movie. 
<laughs> in spite of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we tend to be um, gravitate to a lot of horror, and we've this was our also our first year at Portland Horror Film Fest. We have attended um, the Lovecraft Film Fest, which Brian and and Gwen also curate. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was the first time they were like, oh, hey, you should come to this other one that we do. It's like, okay. And it's been like, all of us were astounded. Like we, we uh, met other filmmakers. Like we met and interviewed uh, KXI who did um, Mara. Is that- Maya. Maya. The, Maya. The gin, the gin film. Yep. Um, and then we also met uh, Alex Spieth and her movie Stag has also been gaining more and more popularity. I think she's finally working on, like she's in pre-production for her second feature now, which is also going to be another horror movie. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad directors like you have found horror and gone, oh, this is all right. I like this. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's just like, there's something so unapologetic about where you can go in horror. And it's like, mm-hmm. you, I don't know, it's just like, it's so fun to go there and mm-hmm. cathartic to go there. And like, you, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not going to go back. I, like, I have, you know, there's always going to be a part of me that like wants to make a, rom-com that will warm your heart that you'll watch on a Saturday morning and like sure. cry your eyes out like for sure that is in my DNA but I, I'm yeah I don't know I I love yeah just like being able to like take an idea all the way and like not be uh you're not like I guess confined by the same rules <clears throat> of a more like you know more straightforward drama um, mm-hmm. And I think, like, for the work I did before this, I made, you know, like, musical comedies that the first one is about masturbating and the second one's about pooping <laughs> and, like, it's all <laughs> functions. And and that's <laughs> my first day in L.A. and my worst day in L.A.? Those yeah, are, my first no, night yeah. in L.A. and my first worst night. night. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Don't ask what inspired those. <laughs> <laughs> those could be horrors in their own way. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And I, the the next thing I'm doing, I think, you know, it's not as overtly bodily function, but it is a little, it, it's also, um, yeah, it is also, like, it, it's more, I think, existing between the two planes of like something that can be like a little campier and sillier and something that can still be scary because I feel like I've done, I've like done both ends of that pole, both poles of that, but I, I want to kind of find my voice as it melds those two sides of myself. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of drawn to that sort of thing, but yeah. Yeah. i I feel like I'm sticking with horror. I've, I've really been loving it. And <laughs> loving the people you get to meet who love horror and loving watching more horror movies. It's It's been awesome. That's fantastic. Thanks. Welcome to the community. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Here's we'll your machete. Take care of you. <laughs> um, here's, so, your fake, here's your fake, your fake blood mixture. Have fun. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, so are you looking at doing more shorts or 
do you want to branch out into is a long-term goal like a feature yeah yeah definitely long-term goal i mean hopefully hopefully not too too long term but uh definitely not immediate um i'm the next thing that i'm shooting i mean i'm just i if i don't like shoot something every i don't know like at least every year but like if you know really by six months i'm like stir crazy and i'm like i need i need to shoot something i'm going crazy (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'm doing another project with Selena again, she's producing with me and going to star and it's called ride baby ride. And it is a, about a woman who is really into repairing vintage cars and, uh, buys one, her dream 1978 Camaro off of some horribly skeevy car dudes and (laughs) late at night while she is getting into repairs the car uh like comes to life and attacks her and she has to exercise a horrible demon that's living within it to uh yeah save the day i guess but it's uh it's uh it's wacky um hopefully scary hopefully fun um but yeah we're shooting that beginning of january so yeah that's a lot of potential i yeah (laughs) okay cool (laughs) In a weird yeah. way, my my brain went to one of the episodes of Ash versus Evil Dead. I don't know if either of you ever watched that show. I haven't watched. There's an entire scene episode where his the Delta eighty eight gets possessed, and it's the only time I've been legit terrified. Of, like Christine didn't do anything for me. I'm like, ah, oh, that's not scary. This car is terrifying. Yeah, um, so I don't it think definitely I can, that it can be done. Yeah, <laughs> I'll need to watch it. I I definitely we'll ask you for more info where I can find that episode because yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I mean, I, cause we're not like doing like, you know, transformers, like fully sure. anthropomorphized car. Like we're on a reasonable short film budget, let's be mm-hmm. clear. but it's, yeah, it's, it's been fun. Uh, I was just talking with our production designer yesterday about just like all, all the weird little things that can happen with the car, like watching her, Right, you know how in the ways that the attack will happen. So it's been fun to dig into that, and I think you know, love is a virus is more of a slow burn, and I'm excited for something that's more, yeah, a literal slow burn. I think I need something a little more up tempo uh, for the next thing. Yeah, that'll be fun. That definitely sounds like it'll exercise some uh, different (laughs) directing muscles. Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, I'll send it to you guys when <laughs> when I have it together. Yeah, I'm excited, great. and I'll yeah. I'll send you a like maybe I'll message you later the the link to some of the scenes from that episode. Yeah, please mm. do. <laughs> Any weird, freaky car stuff? Someone, please, uh, everyone, send it my way. I'm I'm into handling that sort of. All thing. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you heard it here. Just <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mm. Well, so is there places that people can watch Love is a Fire right now, or is it kind of locked down doing the festival circuit? Um, it is. Yeah, it's like in the festival circuit still. I'll, I should know more, I think, in the beginning of next year on kind of where it's screening next. And mm. um, yeah, pending that, I mean, it's 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 a hard thing to post on YouTube 
but I <laughs> I need to like find the right platform to host right. it or you know and see where the right place for it will be for hopefully kind of a more permanent <laughs> viewing online um <clears throat> but yeah given given that image I think it's seems like it's a little tricky to find the right, right well i see some of your films are up on vimeo and that one seems yes. a little bit better at posting like a more mature films because you like have to log in to watch stuff yeah yeah exactly i mean worst <clears> case <throat> scenario it'll be on my vimeo soon enough but if uh but yeah hopefully hopefully we'll also find some other home for it and uh yeah you can find my other stuff on my website which is just my name sophiesomeroff.com uh Sophie with an F and um, yeah, you can definitely, you can watch like the masturbating and pooping musicals. If you <laughs> the thing you, you want to uh, look into. <laughs> yeah. We'll be sure to link your link, all your information on the shows as well. So everyone will have a chance to check out the best and worst nights in LA. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I'll, I'm still trying to come up with maybe a, a third one in that little trilogy. So we'll see. We'll see if I can come up with something. It's your own man with no name trilogy kind of thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, there is a, a very good uh, haunt scene in LA. It could be your scariest night in LA. Yeah. Yeah. Though the second yeah. one is about a hinge date and I don't know what's scarier than <laughs> Okay. Nope. Fair. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so old. I don't even know what Hinge is. I can't keep up. You know, just the apps. <laughs> yeah, I, just app dating. Yeah, I think I, I think I stopped after Bumble. Mm. So anything beyond that, I'm completely lost. Yeah. <laughs> I I never made it that far. Like I I think I. I stopped after okay Cupid and like nope no this is no nope I have never done a dating app I am too old for that shit. Well, I will I will be a hinge spokesperson and say I have moved in with my hinge boyfriend whose dog is named Sophie and so far it's going well. But, so nice. You know, they're not all bad stories. They're not. I mean, they I met are my some bad stories. Yep. I met Fair. my partner through Yahoo Personals back when there was a Yahoo Personals. So, you know, <laughs> Yahoo Personals—that's something else. Yeah, yep. we've been together for almost eighteen years. So, yeah, that's that's yeah. amazing. Back in the day, <laughs> your relationship can vote. <laughs> it can, and our marriage can drive. Yeah, 16 Good. years this year. Good for them. Yeah, wow. you can send it out for smokes. <laughs> <laughs> Lottery tickets. Yeah. Well, Sophie, great. thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun chatting with you. Thanks so much for having me. It was great seeing you guys. And uh, yeah, hopefully talk soon. Yeah, definitely. Keep us, uh, good. Yeah, keep us up to date with all your new work for sure. Absolutely. Great. Thanks again. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks again. Sophie. Bye. Thank you. Bye. That was great. Is it getting Yahoo serious? How dare you? Shadow ban. I don't think it works that way. That'd be kind of cool though if it was like smoke bomb. You knew that 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 was going to be a joke. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That was fantastic. That is 
why I've been wanting to interview her and have her on the show since yeah, July. Yeah, that was great. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah awesome. It, when and when you, all to all of our listeners, when you're able to watch Love is a Fire, please do. It's a sh- short film. Again, it's like seven minutes, I think. Um, it's like seven or eight minutes long. Under It's under ten. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it is it, it is definitely body horror, and wherever you think it's going to go, it's going to go there, and then it's really going to go there. And then it's really <laughs> going to do it. So, um, but yeah, I I know that it uh, gave me different, not different feelings, but like there were more things that I'm like I kind of connected to and went, oh, oh, that's really uncomfortable. And that had nothing to do with the horror. It's just all the relationship stuff is very uncomfortable, especially when I start looking at it going, oh, I've done that. Oh, that's, I'm, oh, yeah, I, exactly. I need to apologize. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, th- I think that that stuff, that kind of stuff is great in, in horror. Um, because like she was saying that there aren't, as many constraints in horror so you're allowed to explore human nature in ways that you can't in a romantic comedy yeah no i mean i think i mean i think ever since the genre became the became a film genre horror has never been just about scaring you Mm -hmm. like ever really um it's always got another message to it and the scares actually have to come kind of naturally to the, to the larger story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because you can't even say that like, well, there's not a big story to like Friday the 13th. They're like, yeah, but like eventually those movies kind of became a parody of themselves. It stopped being horror and it started being like, how can we creatively kill things? Right. You know, which that's fine. Have fun with it. I have, everyone has their favorite kills in Friday the 13th. Like everyone mm-hmm. does. Um, <laughs> listen to your mother, Jason. Um, so yeah, I think good horror always has another message that it's delivering. Some of them are mm-hmm. over, some of them are very subtle, but they all happen for sure. Yep, agreed. Cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think too that, uh, uh, Denise did watch this movie. Um, when she's back, she will definitely pipe in on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I just, without being reductive, I'm just very happy that more women are directing. Period. Sure, <laughs> I mean, that's a statement in and of itself, but also that more women who are directors are getting into directing horror because that helps reshape the, what horror looks like and tells different stories, tells, gives us different perspectives that I think as audiences, we need to hear and we need to take in so that we can go, Oh, Oh, I hadn't thought about that before. That's, Oh, I'm going to be uncomfortable through this movie 
in a different way than I was expecting, other than the fact that there's horrible, horrible things going on. Right. Um, I mean, for me, it yeah. just means more variety of horror. The same way yeah. when other um, ethnicities are telling their horror stories or their fantasy. I just want more stories, and I want more different yeah. stories. If I want to watch the same story, well, I probably order it on Blu-ray, and I'll go watch it. Exactly. We yeah. have the opportunity to do that. There is no shortage of any of that. Um, but man, we want to see more. And yeah. I, I think that's that's why I don't feel... I think we probably had this conversation off mic, but I like I do appreciate doing the the shows that we've done where it's been women in horror month. Mm-hmm. But we've just gotten to a point where we're just doing women in horror all the time. <laughs> yeah, that definitely <laughs> happens. <clears throat> and, and I I think that's great. Right. Um no, I agree. I had something else and it just right out the window. Sorry. Eh, That's all right. Not, not trying to derail your thoughts, man. That's okay. Uh, well, this might be a good plot. Oh my gosh. Good spot to kind of wrap up as well. Probably since both of us are starting to lose the capacity. To speak. Yeah. Cable <laughs> is uh, still recovering from Black Friday. Oh man. And so, yeah, we're both a little spent. I, I gotta say that the Black Friday here was not. It was nothing like I. It it was the most organized, most well planned, and the most pleasant Black Friday I have ever worked. Ever. Wow! This is my ninth Black Friday for Guardian Games, Oof. and yeah, and we just kind of internally went mirror what you want if you want nothing but pleasant interactions with customers all day be pleasant be kind be thoughtful and that's what we got back everyone right. was just like we're so glad you're here we're glad you're open here's i would like to buy 500 dollars worth of board games thank you very much i'm gonna go about my day sweet like that that that's what this last weekend was and i'm i am pleasantly surprised and and look forward to carrying that through this holiday season that's good i never experienced that in my retail years that's fair yeah <laughs> um your retail years were in comics and comics or walmart Ooh, yeah Ooh, yeah yep that's yeah. rough. I had a couple of com. I had a couple retail years in the mall, and at Washington Square it sucked. At Lloyd Center it was fine. It was just we were just open longer hours. I feel like. Yeah. Other than we had to cook more, I we were never really affected in the same way that I think retail shops were at Lloyd Center. Yeah, I mean, it's not like. Suncoast video had like doorbuster Black Friday deals. Like he just like studios kind of always set the price of movies. So it's not like we were selling whatever for a dollar. So it wasn't a thing for us, you know, mm -hmm. back when Lloyd center had anchor stores, it was a big deal for them, but not, we were just had to be open longer. That was all. Yep. Instead of closing at nine, we closed at 11. I mean, that was kind of it during this time of year. Oh, geez. 
Yeah. Although, speaking of Lloyd Center, next week we're going to have on another guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, James Lucas Jones, who has recently opened his shop in Lloyd Center called Brickdiculous. It is a mm-hmm. custom Lego store. Um, um, very specifically. Right next to the all-new Floating World Comics. Yep. He... The, the shop does not make its own custom Legos. No. It, it, uh, it is a shop where you can get um, third-party Lego-compatible products mm-hmm. that are custom-made. Um, I know that one of the shops that he deals with is Firestar Toys, which I'm excited about. Firestar is a third-party um, minifig company that makes... Uh, custom Lego compatible um, minifig pieces as well as full figures. Um, they do f- the full wraparound printing. Um, they make like arms that have more detail on them than maybe the official Lego. So you can swap out the arms. Right. But they're located in the UK. So the fact that they, he's got a shop that's selling that stuff here. That's fantastic. That cuts down your shipping and handling times. Yeah. So no, it's I'm I'm excited to to talk to like yeah, James is a good guy, but it, it'll be fun mm-hmm. to talk to him about his new shop. I had yeah, no I'm... idea he was a Lego guy. No idea. Uh I started to learn a few months ago. Back mm. in during some early comic stuff. I'd start seeing things and then he would just start texting me like Lego album covers and stuff. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. But so yeah, I'm excited to have him on. Yeah. It'll be great. Yeah. It'll be really great. Well, with all that, uh, I am Aaron Duran. And I am still cable. (laughs) We will speak to everybody. Hopefully all three of us next week. Bye friends.